reading Exodus 8, I mean 20, 8 through 11. Remember the, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So while we're talking about prayer, I'll also remind you next week we have that prayer training that Pete Schamberg's going to do after second service. Um, just right after the service, we'll, we're going to provide lunch, and we would love anybody who's interested. It'll be just kind of a prayer 101, um, how, how to just pray well for one another. Um, we need to just sign up online just so we can figure out the food, but we'd love to have any of you there for that. All right, well, it's been a couple of weeks since I've uh, been up front. It's been a nice little break. I've actually been at all the services and just been able to receive, and it's been great. And so it's been a while for me, and I thought I would remind you all what we've been doing this year in case you've forgotten. And, you know, we've, we're, we're moving through the, the summer, and we'll complete what we've been doing at the end of the summer. But I thought I would remind you of where we've been, and I'm going to give you a series of photos to remind you. I showed you this the first week in January. Do you guys remember this, this image, some of you? Yep. So um, we started a series at the beginning of the year about the kingdom of God. And we looked at some of the first century kingdoms that were around in Jesus' world, and we, I kind of made the comment, man, those look really similar to some of the kingdoms we see today. And, but we have been, more than ever, we've experienced the last year and a half as being in the midst of these kingdoms in conflict within our nation, within our world, and there's a temptation to take sides in these kingdoms and, and all of that. And so we thought we'd start the year just by reminding us, hey, there's another kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. And it is a fundamentally different thing than the kingdoms of the world. And, and it certainly can inform how we think about the kingdoms of the world, but in and of itself, it's fundamentally a different thing. And we want to be first and foremost kingdom people. We want to be citizens of heaven, as the scriptures say. And so we've been, we talked for, for three or four months about the, the kingdom of God and Jesus' vision of the kingdom in Matthew's gospel, okay? Then at the beginning of the summer, I showed you this picture of the old 90s food pyramid. And we went into a conversation, we're still in this conversation through the summer of what are we consuming? What is it that we're taking in? Because if we're going to be kingdom people, if we're going to live kingdom lives, we have to take in the right kinds of things. And we're having this conversation because I'm concerned and we're concerned that many people are not consuming the right things. That what we're filling our minds with, what, what we're filling our hearts with and our, and our souls with isn't always the most nourishing and refreshing and life-giving and kingdom-focused meals. And so this summer, we're talking about how do we consume the right kinds of things so that we can live kingdom lives. Let me show you another image that gets at the same thing. We've been looking at the image of a tree. We've been saying if our goal is to produce kingdom fruit, then our lives have to be rooted and planted in certain practices and habits. So we've looked so far at taking in scripture, being rooted in scripture. We've looked at uh, being rooted in a local church body of believers. And then for the last month, we've been looking at being rooted in prayer. 
today we're going to start talking about for three weeks being rooted in the Sabbath experience. Let me show you one other image I've shown you. The image of a waterfall. Again, another way of getting at the same thing. You cannot live kingdom life apart from the grace of God. <laughs> the grace of God is what fuels kingdom life. And God's grace is coming our way all the time. And so what we've been asking this summer is, is how do we go to the fountain of God's grace? How do we practically, what are these vessels that we can take and receive God's grace in practical ways so that we can go live out his life? Scripture, right? Community. Um, prayer, and now we're going to look at Sabbath as one of these ways that we go to the fountain of God's grace and drink our fill and taste and see that the Lord is good. All right? So we're going to spend three weeks talking about the Sabbath. I'm very excited about this particular conversation, and my suspicion is you have no problem with the first th three things we've talked about this summer, but when it comes to Sabbath, you at least have some questions, even wondering, like, is that even something we're supposed to do anymore? Uh, I don't have to convince you about scripture and prayer and church communion. Whether or not you do them or not is another thing, but I don't have to present a theological argument for you, right? But Sabbath is probably something that at least for some of us is like, I'm not sure I really thought much about the Sabbath. I don't know how to think about that. So I want to frame the conversation for a minute, and then um, we'll get into this passage. So um, there's two ways you can think about the Sabbath. One is you can think about the Sabbath as a command, or the other is you can think about the Sabbath as a gift, all right? So I want to just talk through these for a second. Let's talk through. We can look at the Sabbath as a command. Certainly this passage that we have in Exodus, Sabbath is given as a command, right? It's part of the Ten Commandments, part of the Mosaic Covenant that God gave to Israel uh, at, at Sinai. And, and Sabbath is right at the heart of, that, of those Ten Commandments. Um, I've been asked this question a lot over my years as a pastor. Um, thinking, and this is, I think, if we think of Sabbath as a command, this is what we ask. Do we still have to keep the Sabbath as New Covenant Christians? Right? Now that we, we have freedom in Christ now, right? I know the Sabbath was a command in the Old Covenant, but we have freedom in Christ. And as New Covenant Christians, do we still have to keep the Sabbath? And, of course, the concern is that uh, we might observe the Sabbath in some sort of legalistic way or as, as, a, as, a, as a duty or obligation, as a way of trying to earn our keep with the Lord. And so I appreciate the, the, the heart of this question. And we, we saw how, you know, the fear of legalism played out a lot in the first century in the way the Pharisees tried to observe the Sabbath. So it's, it's a fair question. Um, but I want to, what I'm going to be presenting for the next three weeks, I want to talk about the Sabbath not as a command, but the Sabbath as gift. Okay? And I want to take us actually back behind the Exodus command, back to the creation story itself. Because first and foremost, Sabbath wasn't a command. It was something that God himself did at the creation and it was then a gift that he gave to his creatures, a day of rest. It's actually something that was hardwired into the creation account itself. This six plus one rhythm that God set up, that he himself participated in, and that he set up for his creatures for their flourishing and their thriving. And when you start thinking about Sabbath as a gift, this question starts to feel a little different. And sometimes I'll hear this question, do we still have to keep the Sabbath as new covenant Christians? It's like, and now how I think about it, I think about it like if I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple, if they were to like before their marriage ask me, hey, do we still have to keep going on dates now that we're married? And I'd be like, don't you want to keep going on dates now that you're married? I mean, I, I, guess, I guess technically my answer is no, I guess, right? But wouldn't you want to keep doing that? now that you're married. And, and that's how I think about the Sabbath. 
This is this creation gift that God has given us. Isn't this something that we would want to continue to do? And, and so that's, that's the view that I want to present for the next three weeks, that Sabbath is a gift. So um, I have three daughters. Some of you know this. They all have the same birthday, and they're not triplets, okay? So I'll let you just process that if you didn't know that. Their birthday was this Wednesday. So my wife and I just had this experience of gift giving and gift opening and having a package wrapped that usually mom, not dad, you know, kind of thoughtfully prepared for these girls. And I, and, and I get to watch them open this gift. And of course, they, some of them already know what the gift is going to be. But the joy and, and the, you know, just the excitement of opening a gift. And for me, when I think of the Sabbath, I think of God like that parent who knows his kids, and knows how to give good gifts to his kids, and has, has this, this packaged gift waiting for us, and is just waiting with eager expectation for us to open and enjoy this gift. And so to the question, do I have to open this gift? I'd say, I, I guess not, but why wouldn't you want to open such a wonderful gift? Command and gift. And I want to present the Sabbath as a gift for these next three weeks. And let me just share my own story for a second with the Sabbath, because it's a story of how command and gift actually come together so beautifully. So um, I started to, I'll call it practice, uh, a Sabbath 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, I was in Vancouver, Canada, uh, going through seminary. And um, I'll just tell you, I was, as a California boy, I was, I was hit hard with seasonal affective disorder. I was depressed. I was lonely. I was overwhelmed. Life felt really busy and crazy. And looking back now, um, like that felt busy and crazy. I kind of laughed, but just trust me. It felt I was in a season of being emotionally overwhelmed. It just didn't feel like I had enough time to, to do what I had to do. Uh, and um, yet, I was reading scripture, and over the course of like three or four months, I just, the theme of Sabbath kept popping up, and um, I became increasingly convinced that that was, that Sabbath was something God was inviting me to engage in, and I actually fought it for a couple months, because honestly, again, in my perspective, I, like the math wasn't adding up. I couldn't figure out, how do I get what I need to get done in the six days, and in my own mind, the math wasn't adding up, but I felt this as a, as a, kind of a command slash invitation from God. And I finally just decided to do it. Like, I, I remember the day, I'm, I'm going to start doing this. And what was so crazy is like almost instantly, even before I had the first Sabbath, my whole perspective changed on the other end of that decision. And what I experienced was this. I realized it's like I could see the calendar laid out in front of me that every seven days... There was a day waiting for me that was dedicated to play and rest and enjoyment and fun and refreshment that no matter how stressed I felt, no matter how hard the other six days were, that day was waiting for me. And it was like I could see the next one and then behind that the next one and the next one. And I realized with that simple decision, I had just given myself a lifetime of life-giving days every seventh day. And what it was for me, and, and it became this really sweet thing for me, and, and, and surprise, surprise, I had enough time in six days to get done what I In fact, I was much more actually productive and much more fruitful. Uh, you're right, surprise. Um, so for me, Sabbath, personally, has been one of these great examples of how God's commandments lead to freedom, you know? And on the, on the front end of a commandment, it feels restrictive. It feels like, I don't want to do this. 
But we learn that God's commandments are there for our flourishing. And for me, the Sabbath has been such a tangible experience of how God's commands are themselves gifts that are intended for our flourishing. So I want to invite you into um, something that I've been experimenting with now for 20 years, uh, imperfectly uh, for sure, and it's changed a lot now that I'm married with three kids uh, from what it was 20 years ago, but it remains a gift to me and my family, and I want to invite you into this gift for the next couple weeks. All right, so um, what I actually want you to do is I want you to go back to the creation account, okay? So turn your Bibles to Genesis 1, verse 31, last verse of chapter 1 of Genesis, because the Exodus command, right, references we observe Sabbath because God, you know, he observed the Sabbath at the creation account. So um, just find Genesis 2 and then one verse before that. How are we doing so far? Good? I'll just say I'm really excited to be outside on a day where we're talking about Sabbath. It couldn't, we couldn't have picked that part of it better. The timing is perfect. All right. Um, Genesis, I'll do Genesis 1.31 just through 2 verse 3. Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. All right. So um, I want to talk a bit about this, the creation account this morning. So... We're so familiar with, most of us are so familiar with the creation account that we actually forget how unexpected and surprising the ending is. Okay, I guarantee you would never have seen this coming if you hadn't read it before. So, so days one through six is this experience of space, right? God just starts creating space and form and color and texture and creatures and all of this stuff. And you would wonder how the story would end. You would never guess that actually the story ends by God moving from this conversation about space to a conversation about time. That the creation account ends by God dealing with a length of time, a day, the seventh day. And if you look at verse 3, it says that God does two things with the seventh day. First, he blessed the seventh day, and second, he made it holy, okay? So the creation account ends by God blessing a day, which is a strange thing. God blessed uh, the, the animals. God blessed the humans. And now he blesses a length of time, which I assume means this time will, will be pregnant. with It will it, be a, a particularly fruitful length of time. It will be a unique source of blessing. And the other thing he does is he makes it holy, meaning he sets it apart as unique from the other six days, right? He, he creates a sacred time. And most of us are familiar with sacred space. Like we, wanna, we know what it feels like to walk into a place, right, that feels kind of sacred. Like if you've traveled around, you've been to a cathedral, sometimes you, you walk into these ancient, you know, beautiful cathedrals and you, at least you have this sense of, oh, this feels like a sacred space or, or certain places in creation. You go to Yosemite, you're in the valley, you're looking up. And, and I, again, we know that God is everywhere, so I, I'm not trying to create some theology of sacred space. But we know what it feels like to step into a place that feels sacred. And what's interesting is here we're talking about sacred time, a, a length of time, a day uh, that is set apart to 
be different. So big picture, what, what God is inviting us into in the creation account is a day that is blessed and set apart as unique and different from the other six days, okay? That's what we'll be talking about. And I just want to say on the front end, that's a little different than a weekend, okay? Because when it, when it comes to like thinking about practicing a Sabbath or enjoying a Sabbath, um, for most of us, the issue isn't that we don't have enough time, okay? Some of us here are retired, so that we don't, we're not working, you know, extended times. And even those of us that work in America, most people work a five-day work week followed by a two-day weekend. So there's not an issue of time, but this is different than a weekend. Um, this is a day that is set apart even from the other weekend day to do something that's a little different. Um, so I'm not just talking about a weekend day where we're um, still, you know, on our phones all day long or we're checking uh, work texts uh, or work, work, you know, staff or we're, um, we're, you know, sitting in front of a TV for six hours watching sports or running around doing all sorts of things. I'm not talking about a weekend. I'm talking about a day set apart for something that is, that is a blessing that is, that is deeply refreshing and nourishing to our souls. So what I want to do for the rest of the time is just ask the question, what is this blessed day for? What is this sacred, this holy, set-apart day for? What do we do on the Sabbath? If I can just like, okay, Dave, give me a picture. What, what do you mean by, what, what is this supposed to look like, okay? And we're going to spend the next three weeks answering that question. Today, I want to stick with the creation account and just give you three simple things that I think this day is for. It is a day for stopping, it is a day for refreshment, and it is a day for gratitude, okay? Stopping, refreshment, and gratitude. So let's just kind of walk through this. So first, it's a day for stopping. <laughs> That's profound, isn't it? Um, look at uh, verse 2 again. We're in Genesis 2. Uh, let's see. By the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he, that word, rested from all his work, and then verse 3, it says, because on it, he rested. Okay, that word, that English word rested, translates the Hebrew word Shabbat, which is where we get the word Sabbath. So I could translate this uh, on the seventh day, he Sabbathed from all his work, because on it, he Sabbathed from the work he had done. And the word Shabbat, the Hebrew word, at its basic definition, really its only definition, it simply means stop. <laughs> That's what Shabbat means, Stop. So it's not a particularly nuanced word. It's not even a particularly spiritual or religious word. It just means stop, cease, desist, right? So the story goes, God works for six days, and then on the seventh day, he stops working. So to the question, like, what do we do on a Sabbath? I think we first need to acknowledge, actually, Sabbath is first and foremost not about what we do, but it's actually about the fact that we stop doing things on the Sabbath. And to the question of what do we stop doing then, the answer is, well, we stop all of our working and our achieving and our producing just as God stopped all of his working and his achieving and his producing. And I want to just start with that simple meaning of stop because if some of you choose to experiment with Sabbath, and I really hope that you do, um, your temptation will be to overcomplicate it. And to over-spiritualize it, right? And to try to figure out exactly how to do this. And Shabbat reminds us, actually, Sabbath is not that complicated. It's, it's just this. Just stop. <laughs> just stop, okay? Stop all your achieving. Stop all your producing. Stop all your activity. Stop having to be a, we always say, a human doing, right, for a day. And enjoy the experience of being a human 
being. Sabbath is not complicated. It's simple. Just stop. That being said, if you know yourself, stopping is simple, but it ain't easy, right? Because for some of us, just stopping is literally the hardest thing in the world. And the reason that is because we're so addicted to achieving and to producing and to consuming into all of our activity. If you tell us to stop, it's like we stopping coffee, right? We'll start to get the shakes, you know, we start to nervous ticks and things will start happening. And you can ask my wife, I struggle to just stop um, because I'm a restless person. And if you experiment with the Sabbath and stopping, you will realize stopping is simple, but it's not easy for me because I'm so driven by my activity. And really, I'm so driven by seeking to justify my own existence through my accomplishments, through, through the, um, the home I live in, through the, the things I can purchase and consume, all these things. This is what actually drives my sense of identity. And so to try to stop that, even for a day, is really hard. And so what we'll learn is this with the Sabbath, that behind the command to stop is actually a deeper command, and the command is to trust, right? When God says stop, underneath that, I think there's a command that says, trust me. First off, trust that I run the universe. Trust that if you stop your work for a day, the world's going to keep spinning on its axis, right? It's not going to unravel. So you can actually re-entrust to me the job description of CEO of the universe. You took that on for six days, right? And now you get to re-entrust that job to me for a day. And also not just trust that I run the universe, but trust that I'm in charge of your life. And that give me the role of justifying your existence in this world. That, that your identity doesn't come from what you can achieve and produce and consume or do. But your first, your fundamental identity comes from this. You're my child. That's who you are. I love you. You're my beloved child. Trust that. All right? So that's first and foremost. Sabbath is a day to stop. But because of who we are, that means Sabbath is also a day to trust, to re-entrust to God the role of CEO of the universe. And what we'll learn is, um, you know, Sabbath teaches us a theology of limits. And we hate limits, right? Um, but Sabbath gives us a theology. of it's, it, Sabbath puts a boundary around things in our lives. It says, you can't go past this. Just stop for a day. And what I think the more we live the Christian life, the more we'll realize um, there are certain boundaries that are restrictive and limiting, but there are certain boundaries that are utterly freeing and that, are, that set us up to thrive. And, and Sabbath is one of those, those limits, those boundaries that God knows our souls so desperately need in this restless world. All right, so first, stopping. Um, second, this is my favorite. Sabbath is a day for, I'll use the word refreshment, but, or we could say rest and refreshment. So let me, let me give you another verse. This is later in Exodus from the Ten Commandments. Um, Moses says this, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, I love this description, he rested and was, what's the word? Refreshed. God rested and re was refreshed. And I, of course, I have the question, what on earth does it mean for the God of the universe to rest and be refreshed? I mean, he doesn't need to rest. He doesn't tire. So what can this 
possibly mean? And it seems, and we're going to look at the creation account right now, it does seem that while God doesn't actually need to take a break, he does experience a deep level of refreshment and satisfaction in the work that he's done. Okay, so back to Genesis 1. If you go back to the, the very beginning of Genesis 1, um, you know, let's just acknowledge Genesis 1 raises all sorts of questions for so many of us living in, you know, 21st century scientific age. And we have all these questions we bring to the text that the author of Genesis wasn't thinking about at all. But for sure what the author of Genesis was, was thinking about is God as this extravagant creator. And what I want you to see is in, the, in, in, the, in Genesis 1, God is presented as the consummate artist. So how many visual artists do we have? I'd love, love to know. Any of you visual painters, sculptors? Not too many, couple, yeah. Yes, I, yes, I see you in the back, young lady. You are definitely a visual artist. Um, so if you're a painter, what, what do you do? You, you, you paint a background, and then you put your figures in the back, or your characters in the background. And that's how the, the creation account is, is given to us. God takes days one through three, and he paints the background canvas. Light and darkness, sky and sea, and then sea and land. And then in days four through six, he puts his figures in their respective backgrounds. So sun, moon, and stars, right? And then the birds and the, the fish. And then day six, you have the land animals and humanity. But, I, I mean, I, I was looking at pictures of, like, Jackson Pollock this, this week. What, what he would, I was trying to find a good one. I just couldn't find a good one on the web. But, you know, you picture the artistic um, experience. Imagine what this must have been to however this happened, for the God of the universe, the, 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 the artist, you know, the most epic artist of all time, what, what this experience must have been like of color and texture and order and diversity and beauty and creativity. It must have been just an amazing thing. But if you read the, the account closely, there's a little word that keeps popping up all over the place, and it's the word good. The Hebrew is tov, T-O-V, tov. Look at verse 4. God saw that the light was good. Look at verse 10, end of verse 10. And God saw that it was good, right? Verse 18, and God saw that it was good. All throughout this account, God is saying tov, 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 like an artist who creates and then steps back to admire what she's made or what he's made, saying, yes, yes, that's what I had in mind. That's what I had in mind. That's exactly what we see God doing throughout this account. Uh, he's engaged in what I call a creation appreciation rhythm, okay? It's the rhythm of creation followed by appreciation. He creates, he steps back, he appreciates. He creates, he steps back, he appreciates. He has a daily creation appreciation rhythm. And then at the end of the passage, he steps back from the whole thing. And if you look at, let's look at the last, I think I already read this. Look at verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very tov, okay? Tov, tov, tov. And then he steps back at the end for an entire day and says, very tov. This is very good. So God doesn't need rest, but it does seem that he has this deep experience of refreshment and appreciation for the work he's done. And I think we're invited into that in the Sabbath. Sabbath is our opportunity to enter into this, this creation appreciation rhythm that God himself engaged in the creation story. To, to step back from all of our working and all of our striving 
and to take in this beautiful world that God has made and to say, Tov, 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 Tov. This is an amazing place. It's broken, but God, you have made a magnificent place. And, and we have the opportunity to enter into your, the refreshment that you experienced at the creation account. We get a chance one day a week, especially to, to be refreshed by what God has made, to savor what God has made. I'm going to share one of my favorite quotes of all time from one of my favorite authors of all time. This is E.B. White, author of Charlotte's Web. He's great. We've been reading his stuff with our kids over the last couple of years. I love this, this quote. He says this, Every morning I awake torn between the desire to save the world and an inclination to savor it. This makes it hard to plan the day. But if we forget to savor the world, what possible reason do we have for saving it? In a way, the savoring must come first. And Sabbath is a day to savor the world that God has made. For six days, we try to save the world, which is what we're supposed to do. We, we try to contribute to it, right? We try to improve it. We try to exert our will on it in ways that will be good for the kingdom. And then for a day, we step back to savor it, to be refreshed by it, and to say, good. There's so much goodness in the midst of the darkness. I wrote a list of things that Sabbath is good for. Sabbath is a day for good food, for good drink, for oceans, for hills, for trees, for fires, for pools, for walks and rides, for music, for books, for museums, for games, for puzzles, for naps, for silence, for conversation, for unhurried time with friends and family. It is a day to savor. And if you only hear one thing in the next three weeks, it might be this. So interesting. In conversations with people about the Sabbath over the last couple of years, I am struck by the consistent gut-level negative view, kind of gut view many people have of the Sabbath. If you get inside, what are you picturing uh, when you think of the th Sabbath? Uh, they're th thinking of like two-hour quiet times and like intense Bible study. You know, and they're, they're thinking of a day where they feel like they have to put on a spiritual version of themselves. And what I want to say is Sabbath is not a day to put on a spiritual version of yourself. It's just the opposite. Sabbath is a day to be refreshingly human again. Because in, in the beginning, God actually didn't give the Sabbath to, to Christians. God gave the Sabbath to human beings. And God created human beings in his image. And so this is a day to be human again. Yes, absolutely to spend time with the Lord. And yes, to pray. And yes, to worship. All of that, yes. But it is a day to be human. To let our hair down with our God. And enjoy the refreshment that comes from being in this amazing world that he created. Psalm 34 says it well. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I love that that doesn't just say think and contemplate. Right? It's so um, sensual in the sense that it, 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 it takes in the senses, taste and see that the Lord is good. And Sabbath, of course, every day we do this, but Sabbath is a day set apart to taste and see. Sabbath is a feast day, okay, where we taste and see that the Lord is good. In, in the Christian tradition, we do fasting and we do feasting, and both are really important 
in our relationship with God. So let me just explain this real fast. So in fasting, what we do is we withhold some good gift of God's, like alcohol or food or coffee or it could be, a, it could be digital technology, any number of things. We, we withhold certain things that might be good enough themselves because we want to recalibrate the hold they have on our hearts. And we'll talk about that next week. So in, 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 fee, in, sorry, in fasting, we experience God apart from his gifts, right? We do an end around the gifts in order to experience God directly, to remind him and ourselves that you, God, and not your gifts are my deepest treasure. It's you that I want. That's what we do when we fast. But in feasting, we experience the goodness of God, not apart from his gifts, but through his gifts. We intentionally enjoy his gifts as windows through which we experience God. So in fasting, we don't, or in feasting, we don't just taste and see that the cheese is good. We taste and see that the Lord is good through the cheese. Right? Does that make sense? What a great God that gives cheese and wine and bread. Right? I'm tasting and seeing that you're good through your creation gifts. And Sabbath is a feast day, not a fast day. In fact, in, in many traditions, if, if traditions that observe Lent or Advent, Sundays are not fast days through Lent. Sundays are feast days, even through the season of Lent and, and Advent. It's a day to be refreshed. It's a day to savor the goodness of God through his creation. All right, one final point, and I'll wrap this up for today, and we got more for the next two weeks. It's a day for stopping. Uh, it's a day to be refreshed, to be refreshingly human again, uh, and it's a day for gratitude. So this is back to uh, the Ten Commandments, what uh, Lynn read to us, and it says this, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And the point I'm making here is we need to be reminded, because as we start to savor things, we need to be reminded that the Sabbath isn't a, isn't a day to yourself. The Sabbath isn't even, first and foremost, a day to the creation. No, the Sabbath is a day to the Lord your God. It is a day to be with your God. It is an unhurried time set aside to be with your God in a fresh way, to enjoy him in a more um, unhurried way, in a, in a deeper way, in a more refreshing way, to worship him like we're doing this morning, to pray to him. Um, there's so many ways the Sabbath is a day to our God, but the way that I'm going to focus on right now is it is a day to enjoy the Lord through the practice of gratitude, through giving thanks, okay? So again, creation account, six days of work, and the seventh day is a day of gratitude. It's a day to give thanks, and I believe that that is what the Sabbath can be for us as well, because all week long, for six days, just as God was at work in the original creation account, all week long, God has been at work in our lives. Since we were last together inside, God has been at work in our lives. The creator is, right, messing with us in some beautiful ways. He's creating new things in our lives. He's, he's been at work in some big ways and some small ways. So think about your last week for a second. Okay, how has God, how have you experienced God's grace, his care, his provision, his presence with you? For some of you, that might be some, some big things that happened this week. I mean, just sort of, you know, events in your day. Maybe, maybe some, some deal finally went through at, at work, or maybe, I don't know what sports are going on right now, but maybe, you know, your kid won, won the championship game, or uh, maybe you resisted some tough temptation this week. Maybe you had to step into a really hard conversation, and you did it. You stepped in with courage, and 
And God was at work in that. So there's some big things that God's been at work. Or it can just be little things. Maybe you had a sweet, sweet coffee with a friend. Maybe you had a sweet moment with, with your kids or you caught a sunrise, right? All these big and little gifts. My point being, all week long, the creator is at work in our lives. And if we have eyes to see it, we will see evidences of his care and his provision and his grace. The rub is, so often we don't have eyes to see it. And the reason we don't have eyes to see it is because we're moving too fast, right? Monday through Saturday or whatever those, those days of work are, we're just kind of, we're heads down. There's lots to do. There's work to be done. There's people to care for. There's, there's projects to get done. And so we just move through the, day, the week so fast. And so we miss all these moments to experience God's grace. And so Sabbath then is a day set apart that is unhurried where we get to slow down and it's a day of gratitude. It's a day to look back over the last week and say, God, where did I see big and small evidences of your love for me? It gives us time to do that and to say yes, to, to take, take in those moments again, again, to taste and see that God is good and to give him thanks because all week long that grace is coming. And so then Sabbath is a unhurried time, an opportunity to turn that grace back up to God with gratitude. And gratitude is such an important thing in today's world. We need a regular practice of gratitude, and Sabbath gives us that opportunity to give thanks for all that's been going on all week long. And hopefully, when we come here, you know, we, we come bringing our needs, and we also come bringing the stories of what God has done. And then we get to bring that into our worship. Uh, we get to bring that into our conversations with one another. And this can be a, an experience of gratitude. All right. So I'll stop there. Let me go take you back to this, this image. God's grace is coming at us all the time. And Sabbath is one of the, the bowls, one of the containers, the boundaries that we get to bring. It's a weekly container that we get to bring and drink our fill and taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and here's the beautiful thing about it. When we can learn to do some of this on one day of the week and fill this cup up, I promise you it will start to spill over into the other six days. That, that posture of trusting God, of entrusting things to him, that posture of gratitude, of remembering that our you know, identity is not defined by our work, that starts to spill over into the other six days. So I'll stop there. And my encouragement is just to begin to, if you don't have some sort of regular experience of this, begin to think this week and pray, God, is there, is there a fresh invitation into a kind of rest that would be really good for me right now? And start to think practically, how would I do that? Is Sunday that day for me? How could I, how could I you know, maybe change that other weekend day to make one of those days a, a, a particularly unique thing? And my, my ultimate hope is that you can catch a vision for your life that is at least similar to what I experienced 20 years ago in terms of going, gosh, there they are laid out in front of me, like week after week. Like I was down at the, at the beach by myself last week and just these waves just coming in one after the next that we could start to catch a vision that no matter how crazy this world is, no how, how, how hard life is right now, I know that week after week that Sabbath wave is coming in again to bring refreshment, to bring rest, to bring gratitude. And that's a good thing. So let me pray for us, and then we will respond in gratitude through worship. 
Father, I just think of the invitation of your son. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And man, if there's a word that describes our world right now, I think restless is a pretty good one. And so I pray that you would be giving us true soul rest through your spirit, through your good news, through your word, and also, as we talk about it over these couple weeks, through this day of rest that's intended for our flourishing. So invite us into whatever uh, you want to invite each one of us into, whatever that is. And it doesn't need to look a particular way. And I do truly believe there's all sorts of freedom in this. Um, But we want to do what would be life-giving, what would uh, help our relationship with you flourish. So invite us into whatever that is for each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.